very, very unusual. That's why we're here today. Tonight, caught on camera, the frightening bear encounter on a popular trail that has conservation officers on the hunt. Plus. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was just parts and pieces everywhere. An horrific fatal hit and run crash and what investigators have discovered and. I was bedridden for 29 days. A young Victoria Opera student is now speaking out about COVID after not being able to. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It appears the message not to feed wildlife isn't getting through and the consequences could be dire. Conservation officers are trying to capture a black bear caught on camera this weekend, swiping at a jogger on the popular Coquitlam Crunch. No one was hurt, but as Julia Foy reports, it's left wildlife experts very concerned. And that's very unusual bear behavior. BC conservation officers have posted signs and shut down access to upper trails of the Coquitlam Crunch after one hiker recorded a bear's encounter with a young woman Friday morning. A lady was jogging or doing the crunch and a black bear came out and made contact. Lord says it's concerning that after the bear swiped the woman's leg, it approached her a second time. I'm looking at that video. We can only expect that a bear has been habituated by humans, getting into human foods or awards. It's very possible that that bear's been fed in the past. The Coquitlam Crunch is a popular hiking trail which draws hundreds of people who want a workout with a view, but not with a close-up of a bear. I think there's more people using the trail, so that's, it's likely that it's going to be more, more of these encounters with bears, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm glad it wasn't me, though. <laughs> I saw another similar video like that just a little while ago in Coquitlam as well where there was three hikers on a trail and then the bear came up and kept uh, touching the one. We don't need people getting mauled by bears. In July, a 10-year-old girl was bitten on the leg by a black bear as she walked with her family on the Lynn Valley Trail in North Vancouver. Conservation staff say these types of interactions are still extremely rare, but they can't take any chances with public safety. We closed down the part of the crunch just for public safety. We did set a trap. We're gonna we're trying to um, catch this defending animal, uh, and then we'll re we'll assess the animal from there um, if it's suitable for re relocation or not. Officials say if you encounter a bear, to speak slowly and back away, and try and make yourself as big as you can. Carrying bear bells and bear spray can help too. It's their territory, and we're here after them. <laughs> yeah, so. It's, you've got to be careful. Julia Foy, Global News. Abbotsford police are seeking witnesses and dash cam video after a shooting in a residential neighborhood last night. Investigators are gathering evidence at the scene on Mayfair Avenue, just east of McCallum Road, where the shooting took place just before 10 o'clock last night. The 22-year-old victim told officers he and his girlfriend were in their vehicle in the driveway when a dark pickup drove by and opened fire. The shots hit the car and home, but no one was hurt and the suspects fled. The motive for the shooting is unclear, but it's believed to be a targeted attack. Neighbors say they heard rapid gunfire. It was pretty frightening. This has been a really quiet neighborhood. Just several shots, I figured at least half a dozen. I thought it was firecrackers because we're, you know, Halloween's only two months away. And that stuff tends to go on all year round anyway, but my wife said, no, no, that's gunfire. This was a very blatant and brazen 
active violence in our community, which will alarm many citizens, all of us. This is uh, very dangerous for the people in the car, as well as for those that were in the neighborhood and in the residence. On Vancouver Island, a 35-year-old woman has been identified as the victim of a horrific hit-and-run near Ladysmith yesterday. As Kristen Robinson reports, police are still looking for the alleged driver, but they're getting close. I came across the most horrific scene I've seen in a long, long time. There was carnage absolutely everywhere. Al Swanky, one of many motorists who can't unsee what he encountered Saturday. Oh, oh my, my God! God. I didn't know how bad it was until I got to the end of it all. Had to be 600 feet. That truck had barrel rolled a number of times. The driver of this F-150 was southbound on the Trans-Canada Highway, according to RCMP, when he allegedly crossed the center median two kilometers north of Ladysmith and collided with a northbound SUV, killing its driver a 35-year-old Ladysmith woman. It was just really scary. A third vehicle, this truck and trailer, narrowly missed the impact that caused a debris field stretching more than 100 meters. I couldn't believe where the truck was sitting. It was a long ways away. So he must have been, he must have been really flying. The F-150 driver accused of fleeing the scene in a stolen vehicle that has since been recovered. RCMP believe they have identified the suspect whose last known address was in Surrey but he remains at large. Ladysmith is a tight-knit community, and the pain is felt. So if anybody knows anything that can help relieve this pain of our community, step forward. Don't protect the person who is responsible for this accident. As the community grieves a young life shattered in an instant, the suspect urged to do the right thing. So sad. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The Squamish Nation says it's closing all of its offices for the next two weeks after at least three people in the community tested positive for COVID-19. A statement from the nation says the infections have been linked to a case on the Capilano Reserve in West Vancouver. Infected individuals are in isolation and public agencies are conducting contact tracing. Members are also being asked to stay home as much as possible and to maintain physical distance. We are working closely with uh, First Nations Health Authority along with Vancouver Coastal Health. And we also want to encourage members to respect the privacy of those members that have been impacted. And also ask our members to do your part to continue to ensure that the spread of COVID-19 does not further spread in our community. In northwestern BC, mourners who attended the recent funeral of NISCA leader Joe Gosnell may have been exposed to COVID-19. His niece posted an advisory to social media from the NISCA Valley Health Authority calling on anyone who traveled through the Nass Valley between August 17th and 28th for the ceremonies to contact a clinic in their community. Gosnell was one of the key negotiators in the Niska Treaty. And with more on BC's pandemic, we are joined by Keith Baldry in Victoria. Keith, on Friday, the province reported 124 new cases, mm -hmm. the highest single-day case count yet. Yep. Now, that doesn't bode well for Monday when we'll get a three-day total, but you have a different way of looking at the numbers already compiled. 
Yeah, and it's important, I think, to look not just at the daily case numbers, but the trends. And now that we're seeing so many COVID cases, we can take a deeper dive into the, the, the data and see where we're headed. So, again, look behind the case numbers to see what it looks like demographically and geographically. For instance, of those 124, 53% are between the ages of 20 and 39. That's actually down a little bit. It was tracking about two-thirds for a couple of weeks. It's, it's starting to decline there. Uh, age group that's going up a little bit is those over 40. They represented 34% of the cases uh, on on Friday, and 124 is a pretty good sample size. Also, geographically, no change here. 92% of the cases located in Metro Vancouver. That's basically been the story since the pandemic began. And another little change, the positivity rate has gone up to 2.3% on Friday after being down to about 1.4%. At one point, it was 0.5%. Why these numbers are important, Colin, particularly that positivity rate, is we are now testing more. There was 5,400 tests done on Friday. A few weeks ago, only 1,500 tests were being being conducted. So if the test, if the positivity rate is higher now, we're going to see more cases picked up over the weekend. So tomorrow's number could be pretty big. I think at least 200 and we could be approaching 300. But keep an eye on the hospitalization rates and the ICU rates and the deaths. And those numbers have not been climbing at all. They've been very stable. So it'll be tomorrow at three o'clock as usual with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. And we'll be carrying that live on BC One. And then you and I will be talking about it afterwards. You bet we will. Thanks, Keith. More and more young people are finding out how devastating contracting COVID-19 can be. And now a recent University of Victoria grad is speaking out about her ordeal. Chelsea Knutin is, fledged, is a fledgling opera singer now. She's also still recovering after being bedridden by the virus. Sarah McDonald has her story. This is Chelsea Cooten doing what she does best, singing opera, something she's trained to do professionally at the University of Victoria. So when COVID-19 symptoms struck in March, you might think the otherwise healthy 27-year-old with a stronger respiratory system and lungs than most would be a prime candidate for a quick recovery. Well, you'd be wrong. It became more difficult to breathe. I had a fever and those symptoms just kind of progressed and became worse. Just months from completing her degree, Kooten found herself bedridden for nearly 30 days, even hospitalized at one point. I lost basically the ability to speak for about two weeks. And as a singer, that's really concerning. So the grad student suddenly had bigger concerns than just COVID, with her final recitals just around the corner. I had a recital um, that I'd been working all year towards, and that was cancelled. Fortunately, Kooten and her accompanist had the foresight to record this final performance, just in case, in the weeks before she fell ill, allowing her to graduate not only on time, but at the top of her class. This year, the recipient is a music grad, Chelsea Cooten. She had really earned that place. And the fact that she got sick and was still able to produce something ahead of time that was of quality that made everybody go, but, but this is a superior thing. Now she wants her story to serve as a warning to other young adults as COVID-19 cases surge province-wide, particularly in people under 40. This is a serious illness and it's really impacting people's lives in a lot of ways. The disease can be unpredictable. In this case, almost stealing not only the health of a 20-something, but the sound of music too. Sarah McDonald, Global News.
A Vancouver councillor wants to see the city's temporary patio program continue through the fall and winter. Outdoor seating has been a lifeline for many restaurants struggling to stay open during the pandemic. The temporary patio program gives businesses free permits to serve guests on sidewalks, private property or on street parking spaces from June through October. Sarah Kirby Young has filed a motion to council to have the temporary patios return next summer. But she also believes the program could be extended through the fall and winter months with tents, roofs and heaters. I'm really worried that if we don't continue to be flexible and adapt to support the restaurants um, at City Hall that we're going to see a lot of them shut down and just not be able to make it. I did a quick poll today and uh, had over a thousand people respond within three hours and overwhelmingly 80% of people said that yes, they would sit on a patio in the fall and winter in Vancouver. Renewed concerns tonight about the future of the PNE on this, the final day of the fair's drive-through. Kennedy Stewart is here. And we want to say thank you very much for being such a big supporter of the PE here. That's right. Vancouver's mayor and his wife were among the last to take in a special performance of the Superdogs this afternoon. Close to 7,000 vehicles did the drive-through event over the last 10 days. The fair was able to hire back about 200 staff, a far cry from the usual 9,500. As a nonprofit owned by the city of Vancouver, the PNE is not eligible for the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, something all other fairs across Canada are receiving. Kennedy Stewart says that isn't right. We've got to preserve the PNE. I mean, it's such a big part of, of generations, but, uh, but I do think people need to know that uh, we're under serious strain here. Uh, the board's doing a fantastic job, but we've got to put our heads together and the and the feds have a program, we just needed to match our need here. We're going to lose about $52 million in revenue this year, but we've been able to be fiscally responsible enough to translate that into a loss of about $10.5 million. That's still devastating for a nonprofit. And that wage subsidy or the equivalent amount of that wage subsidy would go a really long way in helping us get out of that debt, back on our feet to a really bright future. After weeks of complaints about escalating crime, BC's capital city is now taking action on an encampment next to City Hall. The City of Victoria confirms campers in Centennial Square have been served with a parks bylaw order and will need to relocate by Tuesday. All of the area cur areas currently occupied by tents will be closed. All other areas of the square already restrict sheltering. And the city says Centennial Square has become entrenched with a criminal element and action was taken to protect public safety. Earlier this week, Victoria Police busted a drug ring that had been operating out of tents in the square. The cause of a massive fire last night in Richmond remains under investigation. The fire was so large, smoke could be seen for miles. Flames broke out in bales of plastic in the recycling yard just after 7 o'clock last night. The plant is located off River Road and between 6 and 7 roads. The smoke could be seen as far away as Maple Ridge. Firefighters had to use heavy equipment tearing the bales apart to get to the flames. Fortunately, no one was injured. The facility wasn't staffed at the time. Two people were injured and roads blocked off overnight following a serious collision in Surrey. The crash happened at around 11.30 last night near the intersection of 96th Avenue and Fraser Highway. Two cars collided with such force, one of them caught fire. The driver of that vehicle was sent to hospital with serious injuries. The passenger has minor injuries.
As hundreds of evacuees displaced by the Christie Mountain wildfire returned to their homes last week, shuttered wineries on the Skaha bench are reopening their doors. The aggressive fire near Penticton destroyed a home and burned within a kilometer of Painted Rock Estate Winery. As Shelby Tom reports, its owner says he's indebted to firefighters. Helicopters are still bucketing hot spots on the Christie Mountain wildfire nearly two weeks after the lightning-caused fire first ignited. The blaze, which scorched 20 square kilometers of land east of Skaha Lake, is burning in the hills above Painted Rock Estate Winery, which recently reopened after an evacuation and temporary closure. All the trees were, they were all candling and the winds were up significantly. Owner John Skinner praising the precise and relentless efforts of aerial fire crews, the property boxed in by fire retardant. And that protected us during the height of the of the threat. The fire prompting a six-day closure of the winery and many sleepless nights. It was incredibly stressful, honestly. Um, it's actually, it, it was it was quite emotional because we've, our families made an enormous commitment to this over about 16 or 17 years and to have that all just be at totally at risk. The business owner not only hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic and an interface wildfire, but... Our garage was broken into a couple nights ago and they stole, I think it's $20,000 worth of bikes and things and, and really, really disheartening, really, the timing of it. Despite facing such adversity... They come in threes. We've got them all. Skinner knows the outcome could have been much worse. I am thanking our lucky stars. These are our Syrah clusters. And he says his grapes should be spared from smoke taint. We would have had all of the uh, leaves around the clusters removed, but we left them on just to ensure that there was no soot on the fruit. As the winery reopens to patrons, Skinner says he's looking forward to putting this year in the past and plans to share the fruits of his labor with first responders. If we were going to get rid of 2020 and we survived this, uh, I'm going to make sure that some wine makes it to, uh, to their celebrations. Shelby Tom, Global News. BC's largest wildfire has grown in size once again thanks to wind gusts in the East Kootenai. The BC Wildfire Service says fire activity has increased along the west and southeast flanks of the Dr. Creek Fire as it burns in an uphill direction. The fire is now estimated to cover more than 5,800 hectares. Nearby communities may notice more smoke and aggressive fire behavior. An evacuation order for 10 properties in the Finley Creek area remains in effect. Right now, uh, we are anticipating a bit of a um, kind of changing pattern over the next few days. And so we could see additional winds. We might see a little bit of precipitation. We might see some sun. So we are expecting a bit of a mixed um, kind of weather outlook on that one. So there will be days that uh, you know are quite favorable per cruise. And then we may have some other days where uh, crews are once again challenged. For decades, a wooden sign had been welcoming people to Vancouver's Champlain Heights neighborhood. So when it disappeared years ago, residents felt their community had fallen into a state of disrepair. Well, now they say that's starting to change thanks to the return of the sign. Aaron MacArthur explains. It's been a labor of love for Chris Corliss. More than 80 hours refurbishing, filling, sanding. This piece of lumber will soon help stitch the community back together. Andrew came to me and said, are you able to fix it? And I was like, oh, it's a lot of damage. But I said, let's give it a shot. It's worthwhile. The Champlain Heights sign 
has been a way marker for generations of people who live in this quiet pocket of East Vancouver. The sign had seen better days. Roots pushing into the rock wall that held it up, pieces crumbling away, the paint on the sign peeling. In 2017, the sign went missing. Most people assumed it was gone forever. We get busy in our lives and no one really takes initiative to get it back. It was just kind of a sad point of the community. But a funny thing happened. Information about the sign's whereabouts popped up on social media and the community took action. Andrew Pareda made it his mission to find it. Kind of sat on it for a bit with COVID and, and everything going on. We decided to figure out what, what can we do with it. A GoFundMe page raised more than $1,200 in less than two hours to pay for the restoration project. And now the plan is to put the sign back where it used to be. It's the thing that kind of defines the neighborhood. That old, you know, 70s, 80s font. And then you and I can pick up the... Uh, a simple road. thing. No more than wood and some paint. But this is the stuff that helps bind a community together. Turning strangers into friends. And giving this neighborhood a renewed sense of place. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And the toppling of a Montreal statue of John A. Macdonald is sparking strong political reaction from across the country. It happened yesterday during a defund the police rally. Protesters pulled down the monument of Canada's first prime minister over his mistreatment of indigenous people. The statue's head snapped off and has since been removed from the site. Quebec Premier Francois Legault tweeted, Vandalism has no place in our democracy and the statue must be restored. The incident even provoked an offer from Alberta to Premier Jason Kenney. He tweeted, we would be happy to receive the statue for installation on the grounds of Alberta's legislature. In the U.S., violent and at times deadly protests have erupted across the country as people demand justice for Jacob Blake and an end to police brutality. This week, President Trump will visit Kenosha, where Blake was shot seven times by police. Trump is running his re-election campaign on law and order, labeling protesters thugs. And as Jennifer Johnson reports, his visit is expected to add even more fuel to the fire. It's been a week of protests and anger after a Kenosha, Wisconsin police officer was videoed shooting 29-year-old Jacob Blake in the back seven times during an arrest. No justice, no peace. Now the no White House justice. says President Trump will meet with police officers in Kenosha, the first time he's visited a city in turmoil after a police-involved shooting. The president's on the side of law enforcement and the rule of law, and he's been very consistent in that. On Twitter Sunday, the president repeatedly threatened to send in the National Guard to clamp down on demonstrators. In Portland overnight, one person was shot and killed during clashes between protesters and counter-protesters, as that city faced unrest for the 94th night in a row. Minneapolis was again hit with more looting three months after George Floyd's death. Protesters and D.C. police clashed late Saturday at the new Black Lives Matter plaza. Democrats are pointing the finger of blame directly at the president. This is a time more now than ever that we yeah. need to hear from the president of the United States. But the chaos and the disorder and the lawlessness that we are currently seeing, that's Donald Trump's America. The White House hasn't said if the president will meet with Blake's family in a further effort to defuse tensions. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. 
Israeli police dragged anti-government protesters from a square in central Jerusalem early this morning after thousands of people demonstrated for the 11th consecutive weekend against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. The protesters are demanding the Prime Minister resign as he faces a uh, corruption trial set to resume in January. He's also accused of mishandling the coronavirus crisis. Last year, Netanyahu was charged with bribery, fraud and breach of trust. There are now 25 million COVID-19 cases around the world, with the U.S. and Brazil still topping the grim tally. But this weekend, thousands in Germany protested against the country's pandemic restrictions. Some carried signs or symbols supporting a conspiracy movement that appears to be growing right along with the COVID case count. Yeah, in many ways, it's a sight we've grown used to in the States at rallies, seeing QAnon flags and posters and evidence of their belief online. But it's a startling sight to see them spreading here into Europe. There were tens of thousands of people gathered here in central Berlin in front of the iconic Brandenburg Tour yesterday. And among them were many adherents to the QAnon conspiracy theory. The vast majority, of course, were protesting against COVID-19 restrictions, the kind of things that would see people locked down. Now, why would a European, why would a non-American, who's not a Democrat, not a Republican, believe in something like QAnon, this wildly fabulous conspiracy theory that is totally baseless? And the reason why we're seeing is that it's spreading on the coattails of skepticism about coronavirus. So those people who think that the coronavirus is man-made or introduced by a global cabal of elites who are trying to use it to profit or to manipulate the public, those people might also be susceptible to the idea that there's a cabal of elites who are trafficking in children around the world and that Donald Trump is some sort of anointed savior who will be freeing the children and arresting those who are guilty. That's the main part of the QAnon conspiracy theory. And again, it's been widely debunked whether or not this is actually going to influence politics outside of the United States. That's another question. Matt Bradley, NBC News, Berlin. Back in this country, despite a growing COVID-19 outbreak, a poultry processing plant in Calgary is staying open. Alberta Health says there has been 19 cases of the virus at the Lilydale Sofina Foods plant. 18 of them are considered active, but an official with the company says the number is now higher than that. Safina Foods says in total there are 27 infected employees, all from the same shift. The Calgary facility also had an outbreak in April. It manufactures fresh chicken products and employs about 450 people. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. She's okay, but a little girl is swept up in the air by a kite in Taiwan. We're going to have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, these images along the coast of Skidiget in Haida Gwaii are the talk of the community. What looks like horizontal and vertical tides on a beach there. A local councillor says the grid lines appear to be made by broken clamshells. Some locals were speculating how it might be naturally occurring or the work of aliens. But a beach each processes expert from the University of Oregon debunks those theories, saying it's definitely man-made, possibly even for demarking physical distancing. Yeah, you know, I'd like to think it's aliens. Yeah. COVID <laughs> times, socially distancing, so everybody can be on the beach together. No kidding. <laughs> 
All right, Colleen, uh, we've been advertising a change on the way. We've seen some wet weather pushing in across the south coast. There are some breaks on the way, and in the long range, it's a few days out, but I will be talking about the Labor Day long weekend because temperatures are going to be soaring, and it's going to feel summer-like once again. So I'll have more on that in just a moment. Here's the wave of moisture. It's indicated on green, and this is the satellite and radar. So we've got a few heavier pockets, especially across the island. Here's what it looks like overlooking English Bay. It's gray out there, but it is going to start to brighten up as we get in towards the afternoon for tomorrow. Highs today were closer to 19 degrees on the Almanac. We're close to the average for this time of the year that sits at 20. A record on this day, 27 degrees, and that was set back in 1974. Official sunset this evening just after or just before 8 at 7.59. A few other spots across the province today. It was a touch cool over the weekend into the 20s for most areas. A Soyuz bumping up to 25 degrees. A 14 for areas near Prince George and along the coast for Prince Rupert. It's been wet. Temperatures today topped out at 13 degrees. Overnight tonight, it is going to cool off. We'll be down to 12 degrees. We're hanging on to that chance of showers. So this evening, overnight and for the early morning hours, if you're up on Monday morning, and then it'll start to clear out, especially as we get in towards the afternoon, and then sunshine for the remainder of the week. Temperatures for tomorrow will be up 19, away from the water up to 23, and with the humidex feeling closer to 25. The northern half of the province, this is the next weather maker that is going to push in. Right now, we can see that shower activity across the central and the southern interior and even working its way in towards the southeastern corners. Overnight tonight, so it's still unsettled, a chance of showers for the early morning hours along the north coast. The next weather maker is going to push in. That'll be paired with very windy conditions, and then it'll start to dissipate late in the day. But we still have some instability as we work our way through this evening and overnight. Now, long-range forecast, I wanted to show you this. This is still a few days out, but as we get in midweek on Wednesday, a ridge of high pressure is going to start to build in across the province, and it's going to strengthen. As we get in towards the end of the week and leading in towards the Labor Day long weekend, it'll be soaring, a very strong ridge of high pressure. We could see some record-breaking heat, so a heads up, it's going to be very hot as we get in towards that long weekend. Here's the temperature trend. We can see that gradually increasing towards the end of the week and a few spots in the interior, for example, the southeastern corners of the province will get into the low 30s. And a reminder, with the fire danger rating, dry conditions that we're seeing, we're not going to see much in terms of precipitation. We've got many spots underneath high and extreme. So please be very diligent with your campfires and disposing of your cigarette butts. The northern half of the province, so the rainfall, continuing with another wave, especially for tomorrow. It'll be on the cool side. Temperatures at 14. Much of the central interior tomorrow. It's a bright start to the morning with an increase in cloud cover. A chance of showers moving in by the afternoon. There is a clearing on the way for the southern half of the province as we approach the afternoon and all areas across the south coast. We've got showers overnight for the early morning hours. It brightens up, starts to warm up. And Colleen, check out this five-day forecast. Once we get afternoon. It's sunshine. It's going to feel summer-like. And by Thursday, Friday, it's really going to start to heat up. It'll be feeling closer to 30 degrees for many areas. So hot, hot, hot. Gorgeous. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Flying a kite turned into a very frightening ordeal for a young girl in Taiwan. Have a look at this. The three-year-old became caught in the strings of a kite and was lifted several meters into the air. She was taking part in a kite festival in a seaside town when she was caught up by the giant long-tailed orange kite. Footage shows her twisting several times above the crowd, which struggled to pull the kite back to the ground. She was eventually rescued, traumatized, but not physically hurt. The festival was understandably halted. Holy smoke. 
Yikes. Scary. Gives you an idea how strong, strong the wind had to be oh to toss her around like no that. No wow. kidding. She'll have the tale to tell when she's older. She'll always remember. Good thing mm -hmm. she's okay. And yeah. the video to prove it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you got coming up, Barry? Well, uh, Canucks are not in must-win mode, but uh, I think it's a good idea if they win tonight. They don't want to go down 3-1. And, and the good thing with them is, that, you know, when they've needed to win in these playoffs, they've done so. And I expect they'll play really well tonight. So we'll hear from them on the uh, eve of Game 4. And uh, also the Raptors played their first playoff game in a week and looked a little rusty against oh. the Celtics. We'll have that as well. Okay, thanks. The summer weather has made safe socializing a lot easier, with most of it taking place outdoors. But what happens when the mercury falls and the rain and the snow arrives? Global's Sarah Ryan takes a look at how to manage a pandemic winter. From spray parks and playgrounds to walking trails and campgrounds, Canadians have thoroughly enjoyed the outdoors in light of the pandemic. It's been really important to us to go outside and we're so happy that the playgrounds are open. But fall is fast approaching and winter soon behind. It's been great in the summer. It's been awesome. Get outside, get some fresh air, see some friends, social distancing, that sort of thing. But uh, we do have to make plans for what it's going to be like when the weather starts to change. Many ski hills are planning to open. It's important so that we can still have an outdoor activity to do. Safety will be the top priority. We'll be limiting the amount of people on the hill. Face coverings will be required, um, especially in lineups, especially on the chairs and inside the lodge. The psychologist says being in nature has a soothing effect on both the body and the mind. Snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, whatever it is, but starting to think about um, preparing different activities that make them happy and that can give them that same feeling even when it's cold. Laura Armstrong wants to involve her kids in planning outdoor adventures like skating or tobogganing. Just having those things to look forward to outside instead of just going for another walk, actually having an activity planned makes a big difference. And if mobility is a challenge, Dr. Gans Ferentz recommends watching nature shows or simply sitting near a window and watching the snowfall. Whatever it is, just to get that fresh air, that sunshine, just seeing that the rest of the world still exists is much better than sort of being, you know, just kind of giving in to being shut in. Sarah Ryan, Global News. So how do you help an endangered bird feel less lonely? Well, it turns out watching videos is as therapeutic for penguins as it is for people. This is Pierre. He was found washed up on a beach in southwest Australia. The endangered northern rockhopper penguin is recovering at Perth Zoo. Pierre's keepers are worried he's not socializing enough, so they're showing him a claymation cartoon called Pingu, along with live streams of other rockhoppers from around the world. They hope to return Pierre to the wild once he's recovered. Barry's here with sports, and Barry, I have a good feeling about tonight's game. Well, you've never been wrong. At least this weekend you haven't, so that's good. <laughs> Thanks, Colleen. Well, maybe the most impressive quality about this young Canucks team in these playoffs has been their tremendous resolve to win crucial games when it's looked like they've maybe reached their limit or are overmatched by their opponent. Their, their will to win is evident, and they will need that tonight in Game 4 against Vegas. The Golden Knights are a tough piece of business, especially when they get the lead. They're tough to generate scoring chances against because of their speed and tenacity. But the Canucks are confident they'll bounce back tonight, and scoring first would certainly help their cause. You know, we're honest with ourselves. Uh, we're not afraid to look in the mirror and and speak the truth to the group. Um, you know, we're a team that wants to win. We want to compete, especially this time of year. Um, so we're going to have to have another bounce back game tonight. 
Um, it starts with, with our focus. We, we've talked about it this morning and we're prepared to come in and give our best effort tonight. Obviously, yesterday was uh, was a tough game. It was it was playoff hockey, and we got to do a better job finding finding those areas. Um, I think it comes down to having the will to get there. Uh, I think we all have to uh, take a look at our game from yesterday and um, find out what we need to do better and, and go from there. All right, on the ice today from the West, Avalanche and Stars Game 4. Colorado looking to even things up, but Dallas jumped out to a 3-0 lead. Jamie Benn with the tip here of the Alex Radulov point shot. Second power play goal of the period, 3-0 Stars after one, but Colorado got two back in the second. This one from Kale McCarr on a two-man advantage with just seconds to go in the period. It's 3-2, but in the third, Rupi Hins with the curl and drag fires it past Pavel Fransuz. 4-2 stars, they win at 5-4. They now lead the series three games to one. In the East, Game 4, Flyers and Islanders, second of a back-to-back. So both teams going with their backups. Brian Elliott for the Flyers, Thomas Grice for the Isles. No scoring until the second. Flyers can't clear Josh Bailey to Brock Nelson, who waits, and then watch him pick his spot. A great shot, but the Flyers have just tied it. It's 1-1 late in the second. Well, the one team that could pop the Raptors playoff bubble is the Celtics. Boston is the only team to beat the Raptors since the NBA restart, and they've now done it twice. And both games were blowouts. The Celtics jumped out early today in game one of the Eastern Conference semifinals, and they never looked back, cruising to an 18-point win. Raptors, close-knit group, great relationship between Nick Nurse and his players, but they need to figure out the Celtics because right now they are a riddle that Toronto cannot solve. Celtics build up a large first-quarter lead. Kemba Walker hits the three. 39-23 Boston after one. The Raps played poor defense. They just missed a lot of shots. Second quarter, they get a boost off the bench from Serge Ibaka. Finishes off the fast break. Ibaka had 15 on the day, but anytime Toronto made a little run, the Celtics would respond. Kemba Walker with the long three to end the half, 59-42 Celtics. Third quarter, Jason Tatum will pull up and hit the three. Tatum had 21, all five Boston starters in double figures. Tremendous balance from the Celtics. Kyle Lowry trying to give the Raps a spark, as always, driving layup there, but it was 88-73 after three. Toronto was just awful shooting the ball. Here's a display, just 37%, 10 of 40 from three-point land. Boston's defense had a lot to do with it, but the Raps need to find some rhythm or this could be a short series. They need to make the adjustments. Celtics sealed the deal with yet another three. Marcus Smart, he also had 21 points. Boston made it look easy. Raps need to adjust. Game two is Tuesday, but the Celtics roll 112-94 in game one. In the West, Kawhi and the Clippers looking to put away Dallas in game six of their first round series. And the claw took matters into his own oversized hands, taking it strong and throwing it down for the jam. Clippers by 13. More from Kawhi showing that brute strength just powers through two Dallas defenders. Raptors fans know that move well. L.A. extends the lead to 17, and in the fourth, Kawhi yet again, another rim rocker, 33 points, 14 rebounds, and the Clips are moving on to the second round. 111-97, the final in Game 6. L.A. will meet either Houston or Oklahoma City in the next round. Final round of the BMW Championship, FedEx Cup playoffs. Canadian Corey Connors needs a top-five finish to advance to the Tour Championship next week in Atlanta. Makes a birdie here. He got into the top 12 at one point, but would end up 33rd, so he falls short. But fellow Canadian Mackenzie Hughes was right there on the bubble. Needs a par on the 18th. 
to finish 28th in the standings and a ticket to Atlanta. But after a perfect drive, ooh, finds the greenside bunker. Pressure is on to get up and down for par. He splashed out to five feet, so he's got this. Simple. Makes it. He's in. Miss it. He's out. And Hughes, clutch putt. Knocks it in. He's part of the elite top 30 going to Atlanta next week. Pumped about that. The top 30 comes uh, with a pass to all four majors next year, not to mention a handsome payday. John Rahm, world number two, making a big move today. Shot to the top of the leaderboard thanks to the low round of the tournament. Finished off by this 30-foot bomb for birdie on the 16th. A bogey-free 6-under 64. He posts 4-under. But Dustin Johnson, the current world number one, a chance to tie. But look at the putt he's got. This is from over 40 feet, but would you believe he makes it? Wow. I mean, the odds of that are one out of 100, even for these guys. So they're going to a playoff. And this time, it's Rom who's got the one in 100 putt. This is from 66 feet. Look how far out he's got to put this. And we are only going to show it if it goes in. Look at that. For the win, John Rom with the victory. So he and Johnson are the top two ranked players heading to Atlanta. But Rom is the BMW champ. Johnson is actually ranked one in the FedEx standings. Rom number two. Mackenzie Hughes, the only Canadian to make it there. Uh, Hadwin and Taylor, along with Tiger Woods, all done for the season. Blue Jays and Orioles from Buffalo. Jays riding a three-game win streak. Toronto was down 4-3 in the eighth, but Rowdy Telez with a clutch two-out hit ties it 4-4. Unfortunately, Baltimore scored in the top of the ninth to regain the lead. But fortunately, these Blue Jays have a flair for the dramatic. And with the bases loaded and two outs and two strikes, it's Teoscar Hernandez who pulls a base hit to left. One run scores. Here comes Randall Gritchuk with the slide. He's safe. Jays now 18 and 14 in the season. They're in a playoff spot, and they're playing some pretty good baseball. And the Canucks faceoff is uh, less than an hour away. They win tonight. They're back on even terms. So I expect they will play very well. They're going to win. They're going to win. I can feel it. That's my prediction. Thanks so much, Barry. <laughs> Not that old. No, no it's way. last week. <laughs> uh, listen, I think we could probably all agree a lot of kids have been bored since school closed this spring. But some children use that as an opportunity, including this one. San Cavi Rathan has broken a Guinness World Record. The 11-year-old girl from Mississauga now holds the record for the most Rubik's cubes solved one-handed while hula hooping, which is 30. Sankavi has limited mobility in one of her arms and says she wanted to accomplish this because it requires the use of only one hand. She picked up a new hobby to beat boredom, reading books and watching videos about solving Rubik's cubes and decided to start hula hooping while she was at it. She practiced for up to 90 minutes a day, developing a skill no one can match. Wow. Wow. I'm just working on the chew and gum walking thing. So <laughs> right. Two at once is I can't do the Rubik's Cube at all, period. No, no matter how many hands. No, it's amazing. Good for her. <laughs> Congratulations. That is the news hour for tonight. Jordan's here at 11. Have a good night.